We come now, brethren, to the preaching of God's Word, and I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Romans and the 8th chapter. The book of Romans and the 8th chapter this morning, and I will be reading and then preaching with God's help on verses 38 and 39. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39 as we come to the conclusion of this eighth chapter. Here, beginning in verse 38, the Apostle Paul writes, under inspiration by the Spirit, these words, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Our God and Father, how we thank you for this day and for this opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we would ask now that as we come to the preaching of your word, that your sovereign spirit would work among us, that he would grant us an understanding of this text of scripture this morning and help us to apply it to our own lives, our own journey as Christians in such a way that Christ is glorified and you are honored. Please be our guide, be our teacher, our comfort today. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, as we saw last Sunday, you and I as believers are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. For not only are we victorious in this life through the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but we will ultimately be victorious over our greatest spiritual enemies, which are the presence of sin and the sting of death itself. For the conquest that Jesus has obtained for us extends not only through this present age, this present life, but the eternal age to come, where righteousness and glory will permanently prevail. And therefore, you and I are not only conquerors and victors over things that would hinder our justification in this life, but we are also conquerors and victors over those things that might try to oppose our glorification in the next. And so the conquest, the victory that we now enjoy is a double victory. Or you could say it is a super abundant victory in that it not only ensures that we will not be spiritual casualties in this life, but it also guarantees, it guarantees that you and I will be crowned with the glories of a full and complete victory over any obstacle, present or future, through Jesus Christ. Because Christ Jesus is the ultimate victor. He is the one who spilled his own spotless blood in spiritual battle. He is the one who not only won for us spiritual freedom and deliverance, but our present status as conquerors, as victors, who can rely upon his endless resources for the struggles that we are facing now and for the battles we will continue to face 
until Christ returns or you and I are called home to be with him. For it is Christ's victory as our spiritual warrior and defender that makes our present position as more than conquerors a reality. And of course it was and is his love for us that motivated him to perform so magnificently in battle for us. For the Apostle Paul refers to Jesus Christ, our victorious warrior savior, back at the end of verse 37 of this eighth chapter of Romans, as him who loved us, him who loved us. Because in an ultimate sense, the love of Christ for us was fully demonstrated. It was put on full display before all the world to see by the way in which Jesus Christ as our conquering warrior savior battled for us. And by the way in which he conquered sin and death and not for himself, but for us. For you and I were the ones who needed redeeming you and I were the ones who needed rescuing and defending, and it was his undying, conquering love that led him to willingly enter into that bloody spiritual arena, that bloody spiritual conflict known as his cross, and to not only endure the pain and the agony of that spiritual conflict for us, but to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me so that you and I would never have to utter those same words? Because Christ did utter those words, you and I will never have to utter them ourselves. Oh, what love was manifested for us by Christ on the cross. And what love continued to be manifested after his glorious resurrection and ascension as well. In fact, Paul mentioned all of Christ's redemptive works back in verse 34 of this eighth chapter. His death, his resurrection, his ascension as reasons why no one could possibly separate us from the love of Christ. Because in victory after victory after victory, Jesus Christ has displayed his great unfailing love for us as his elect one. We are right to ask the question, as Paul did back in verse 35, who could possibly separate us from such love? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Because all of those obstacles can seem to pose a great threat to us. And yet all of those obstacles fade in intensity and in significance in the full light of what Christ Jesus has already done for us. And of course, we will see this more here in our sermon text this morning. For Paul does two things in our text this morning in response to his own questions back in verse 35 of Romans chapter 8. Let us notice what Paul writes here. First, let us notice that Paul offers his own testimony, his own testimony as to how confident he was 
in the unfailing nature of Christ's love. For notice how Paul begins here in verse 38 with the words as translated here in the English Standard Version, I am sure. I am sure. And while this English expression, I am sure, is not an inaccurate rendering of the original language, I, I must insist this morning that this expression, I am sure, is probably not the best rendering. For our common England, English expression, I am sure, simply does not carry the weight and the intensity of what Paul is saying here adequately. For Paul is not merely stating or affirming some fact here, but he is expressing that he has spent some time thinking carefully about this issue and has reached a settled position. He has reached a settled conviction about this. In fact, a better translation of this expression is found in the King James Version, which translates this, I am persuaded, or in the New American Standard Version of the Bible, which translates this expression, I am convinced. And I know you can see the difference between I am sure and I am persuaded or I am convinced. For the idea here is that the Spirit of God and Paul's own experience persuaded and convinced Paul that the love of Christ is unfailing as opposed to Paul's mere reception of this truth by means of reason alone. And of course, that which Paul learned through the Holy Spirit's influence and through personal experience as a Christian would have a more profound and lasting influence on Paul's thinking and convictions than a mere intellectual acknowledgement of the facts would have had. And so Paul is stating here at the beginning of verse 38, I myself am persuaded, I myself am fully convinced that nothing shall be able to separate me or any believer in Christ, for that matter, from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. For I have seen, I have experienced this manifested in my own life. And needless to say, beloved, this is the kind of settled persuasion the kind of settled and firm conviction that all of us should desire to have regarding the love of God through Christ Jesus towards us. For what you and I have learned through the Holy Spirit's influence and through our own experience with God's providential dealings with us have been designed to progressively persuade and convince us of the unfailing and invincible nature of God's love for us as manifested to us through Christ. In fact, throughout the years of our Christian lives, there should be a growing persuasion in us that these things are true. There should be a growing, humbling persuasion in you and in me as time passes that there is no way we could possibly 
be separated from his love. And if we are without this persuasion, or we can't point to any evidence in our own growth and understanding and appropriating the assurance of God's love, then we need to ask ourselves the question this morning, why this is true. If we don't have this growing persuasion, this growing firm conviction, then why is that? For the evidence of God's love through Christ and our own experiences as believers has not been hidden from us. It's not been hidden from you. It's not been hidden from me. These things can be recognized if we simply take the time to consider the course of our own lives. If we take the time to discover what God has already demonstrated to us in terms of his love. And this can be done by asking ourselves this morning, a series of simple questions. For example, we should ask ourselves questions like this. In the kindness of God's love and providence towards me personally, what has he already delivered me from? What has he already delivered me from? And how does this prove his love? What has he protected me from? What has he introduced into my life that I can easily identify as an opportunity to increase my love for him more? What has he lovingly revealed to me about my own needs for growth and maturity? For if you and I are unwilling through the Spirit's leadership to look for the evidences of his love, which are not hidden from us, then what right do we have to feel angry or disappointed with God if we fail to see the outlines and the impressions of his loving hand as we should? No, the Apostle Paul examined his own life here in verse 38 with a view towards identifying the different ways that God's love through Christ had been manifested in his own faith and experience. And he declared openly after considering those things, I am persuaded. I am convinced that I cannot be separated. I cannot be isolated from the love of God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Brethren, may each of us this morning, by God's grace, be able to make that very same confession of faith today. Whereby being fully persuaded of God's unfailing and invincible love for us, we can make a confession like this. We can be able to face life struggles and constant uncertainties with a love and a confidence that could not be expressed in mere words. Then not only does Paul offer his own testimony with respect to his confidence in the unfailing of Christ's love for us, but he also lists 10 items, 10 items when considered in light of the love that Christ has already shown to us cannot possibly separate us from God's love. And these 10 items that Paul mentions here in the rest of verse 38 and all of verse 39 are significant because they not only cover the full scope and variety of experiences and obstacles that we can encounter, but they also include some things or some barriers that some might insist can cause a believer to forsake 
his or her profession of faith. For some would argue that while Christ will never separate his love from us, we can separate our love from him, and thus we can fall from a state of saving grace. And yet, as we'll see this morning, Paul will argue that absolutely nothing in creation, not even the inconsistency and the instability of the believer's own will, can separate him or her from that conquering, unconditional love that God has purposed to manifest to them through Christ our Lord. And so what we have here in the rest of our text this morning, in the rest of verse 38 and 39, is a list of threats and trials that a Christian can encounter, which may test the extent and the depth of their love for Christ, but which can never jeopardize Christ's love for them. For none of these things can separate us from his love. And this is an exhaustive list, I believe. It's an insightful list. It's a list that we should carefully consider. What is the first thing that is not able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? Well, Paul first identifies for us here the threat or the trial of physical death. The threat or the trial of physical death. For Paul states here in the beginning of verse 38, I am sure, or better yet, I am persuaded I am absolutely fully convinced that neither death, neither death is able to separate us. Why does Paul begin here with death? With death. Well, I believe it's because death is often feared by us as that which can separate loved ones from one another. In fact, in human relationships, death often ends a relationship, and what continues on after death is merely a shadow of what once existed. And yet Paul states here in verse 38 of Romans chapter 8 that when death occurs, and death will occur unless Christ returns for us before that time, the believer is not separated from Christ as he or she would be from another living person. But rather, he or she is actually brought into the presence of Christ, where a new existence begins on a level that has never been experienced by the believer before. And therefore, rather than being something to be feared, physical death for the believer represents the opportunity to be with Christ in a new and glorified way. In fact, Paul wrote elsewhere in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8 that to be present, or excuse me, to be absent from the body through death is to be present with who? With the Lord. Then secondly, Paul mentions here in Romans chapter 8 and verse 38 that neither is life able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Neither is 
life. And by this statement, Paul is most likely referring to those difficulties and tragedies of life that often have the potential of tearing people apart, that have the potential of separating people from one another. For life can not only distract human beings from loving one another, but it can destroy the closeness and the intimacy of our relationships if we are not careful to maintain them. And yet Paul is clearly stating here in this verse, verse 38, that life's difficulties are not a means of separating Christ's love from a believer. As though his divine love is subject to the up and downs of human life and existence, but rather through life's many trials and difficulties, believers can actually experience in a greater sense Christ's love for them than before. So rather than having the effect that we sometimes think that life's trials can have, life's trials can actually be a means in the providence of God of drawing us closer to Christ and giving us deeper experiences of his love. In fact, God often uses our trials and difficulties providentially to show us that his love for us through Christ is not only real and not only discernible, but it is indestructible. For it will not fail us in the midst of our difficulties, nor will it fail us as a result of our difficulties. Then thirdly, Paul mentions here in verse 38 that angels are not able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why does Paul mention angels here in this passage? Well, it would seem from the context, it would seem from the reference here to angels that Paul is emphasizing the fact that not only are physical trials incapable of separating and hindering us from God's love, but so are spiritual forces as well. For even if angels, which are powerful spiritual beings, had any intentions to separate us from Christ's love, they would not succeed in doing so. In fact, the more we study Scripture, the more we see that the elect angels, which did not fall with Satan, would never seek to separate us from Christ's love. But rather they are, in the words of Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14, ministering spirits sent to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. And so we need not fear, Paul says, that elect angels would seek to do us harm. However, fourthly, Paul mentions here in verse 38, as well, the threat posed by rulers. The threat posed by rulers, or as some translators have rendered this word, powers or principalities. Powers or principalities. And this word does imply the presence and the work of fallen angels. In fact, the Apostle Paul warns us in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 and Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15 to be aware of evil spirits, to be aware of forces that oppose Jesus Christ and the work of his church. 
evil forces are very real. And yet Paul makes it very clear here in the context of Romans chapter 8 and verse 38 that these forces, these evil forces, these evil powers, these principalities are not able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because absolutely nothing that these forces can produce in terms of spiritual opposition, in terms of spiritual oppression, can interfere with Christ's commitment to show love for and to care for his own people. And of course, we are reminded of Christ's love for us in the way that he sends the Holy Spirit to help us to battle those evil forces. Then fifthly, Paul assures us here in verse 38 of Romans chapter 8, that things present are not able to separate us from God's love through Christ Jesus either. By this reference to things present, Paul is likely referring to those things that are immediately pressing upon us those things that are immediately harassing us and intimidating us or seeking to intimidate us as opposed to our experiences and trials in the past. Or sometimes our present trials, our present difficulties can seem overwhelming. And we can feel the intensity of them in ways that we have never felt them in the past. And yet Paul is asserting here that the tyranny and the troubles of the present moment are no match for the tremendous comfort of knowing that Christ is committed to our present needs. And of course, we are commanded to take our present troubles and to cast those cares upon Jesus. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. Why? Because Christ cares for us. Even your present troubles and difficulties cannot separate you from Christ's love. Then not only is Christ's unfailing love invincible in the present, but we're also assured here sixthly in verse 38 that it is invincible and available for the things to come as well. For not only is Christ lovingly shepherding us in this present moment, but he is our shepherd in our future moments as well. In our future moments as well. And therefore we should be free from all anxieties regarding the future. For nothing can happen in the future that Christ has not foreordained for our good. Remember Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. We can be certain that the same conquering love that has kept us safe and secure in the past and in the present will keep us safe and secure in the future also. And so let us, as Paul exhorts us in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, be anxious for nothing. Nothing in the past, nothing in the present, nothing in the future, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will actively guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Then seventhly, Paul mentions here in verse 38 of Romans 8 that, that powers are not able to separate us from the love of God 
through Christ Jesus. And it's most likely here, this word powers is a reference to those individuals that often seek and work to deceive us. In fact, the same word is used in reference to those who perform mighty works or miracles for the purpose of deception. And so the idea here, I believe, is that not only are we protected against powerful assaults from otherworldly spiritual forces, from rulers and powers and principalities, but we are also protected from those who would try to shipwreck our faith. We are protected from those who would try to lead us to denounce or to deny our Lord. For while it is possible for a believer to be led astray temporarily, it is not possible for a true believer to be led away entirely. It is not possible for the love of Christ holds us within its grip within its grip, and the Holy Spirit will draw those who have been led astray back to the truth of God, if indeed they are true believers. And so we are always to resist those who try to exercise ungodly power over us, while at the same time being assured that the love of God will never be separated from us, nor will we ever be separated from Christ, our true shepherd. And then number eight, eighthly, Paul mentions here in the beginning of verse 39 of Romans 8 that no height shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what could this possibly be a reference to, no height? Well, I would suggest to you that it's a reference to the threats of prosperity or a preferment as they can often be, be temptations to pursue the love of the world or to seek the praise of men rather than the praise of God. For our adversary, the devil, often works to draw us away from the love of Christ, away from the path of righteousness by offering greater heights, by offering greater experiences in life, and some have accepted the bait some have accepted Satan's promises of preference and preferment over the truth of the gospel. Remember Paul's words about Demas in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, where he said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. The pleasures of the world are often presented as higher experiences, as new heights for us to tempt us away from our devotion to Jesus Christ. And yet Paul states that no allurements, no temptations to pursue worldly heights or acceptance can separate a believer from God's love in Jesus Christ our Lord. For by the grace of God working in us, a true believer will resist such temptations and he or she will seek God instead. Then ninthly, the Apostle Paul also asserts here in verse 39 that in the providence of God, the opposite is true as well. No height shall separate us, but as well, no depth shall separate us either. For when believers face greater depths in their spiritual lives, times of poverty or persecution, for example, 
They can also be assured that they are not separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus, their Lord. For while this world measures happiness and success on the basis of wealth, on the basis of popularity, and it looks down upon those who have little in terms of the world's goods and the world's praise, true believers know that their treasure is Jesus Christ. And that's where their hearts are. So it matters not how low we go in this life. It matters not what is taken from us. It matters not what we suffer. For we have the love of Christ. And that's where our heart truly is. Then lastly, tenthly, Paul mentions here in closing in verse 39 of Romans 8 that nothing else in creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And by this reference by Paul here to nothing else in creation, he refers not just to other creatures, but also to anything that exists within the creature himself. Catch this point, not just other creatures, but anything that exists within the creature Himself, Or in other words, anything that exists within the believer, him or herself, cannot separate them from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And this is a very important point. For some have suggested that while nothing outside of believers can separate them from the love of God through Christ, what's on the inside of them such as their free will or their own inconsistency in believing, can separate them. No doubt you've heard those errors before, that nobody can pull us out of the Lord's hand, but in some sense we could jump out of the Lord's hand if we decided to do so. And yet is that true? Could our decision, if such a decision were possible, separate us from the love of Christ? Of course not. Of course not. Man's free will is not the ultimate power in determining whether a person will have salvation or a determining factor in whether God will love his people or not. In fact, I would urge you to keep the context of this entire chapter in mind when you have discussions with others who insist that a believer can lose his or her salvation. For the focus here is not upon man's free will and man's choices. And as you know, many people like to read man's free will and choices into a text. The focus here is not upon man's free will and choices. Rather, the focus is on the conquering, invincible love of God in Christ Jesus. A love that was given to us in eternity past, long before we did anything good or bad. A love that has called us out of darkness into light even before we made a choice for Christ. A love that justified us freely through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, independent of anything that we could have done or wish to do, a love that will not let us go, even though we often fail, even though we often come up short, even though we often get discouraged, even though we might at times wonder if we're going to make it to the end of the journey. 
God's love will not let us go. It is a redeeming love. It is a fulfilling, guaranteeing love. It is an invincible love. In fact, when Paul talks about our future glorification, he, he speaks of it in the past tense. In fact, Mark brought this out when he preached in Romans 8 recently. Paul speaks of all the things that God has done in our lives as though they are, have already happened. Even our glorification, because in the decree of God, they already have happened. They already have happened. So let us not confuse ourselves. Let us not dilute the full strength and comfort of what Paul is declaring here in this eighth chapter of Romans with any talk of man's free will. For man is merely the creature. God is the sovereign creator and savior. God has determined what we will know what we will experience, what we will be assured of in his love through the Lord Jesus Christ. And what good news this is. What fantastic news this is. May we have the, the grace to receive it fully, not as the mere words of men, but as the living word of God to our very souls. Paul says again, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Are you convinced of this? I pray that you are. And if you're not, I pray that the Spirit of God will be at work in your heart today, granting you that humble assurance for his own glory and for your good and for the good of this congregation. May God work powerfully this morning through these closing, these closing words to the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you so much for your invincible, undying, unfailing love to us through Christ. And we would ask that we would be reminded of this today, that we would not lose sight of how wonderful and beautiful this is, how reassuring this is, how it gives us hope and confidence and courage for the future. And I pray that through our meditations on this truth today, our hearts would be greatly encouraged and that we would desire to live lovingly for him who died so courageously for us, that we would desire to share this wonderful love with others as well, to tell the people in our lives that we're around and that we come into contact with, that there is this supernatural love of the Savior to be expressed to guilty sinners who can find acceptance and forgiveness with God. Help us to communicate that to others as well as we seek to minister your word in the context that you've given us to live in. Bless us, encourage us, build us up in our most holy faith. For we ask these things in Jesus' blessed name. Amen.